Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. February 2nd, 2009 seemed like every other day in the desert area of Albuquerque's West Mesa. It was hot and dry, and as the sun began to set that evening, Christine Ross and her dog Ruka left their home to go for their nightly walk. Once Ruka was off leash, he followed his nose until he found something worth digging for. He clawed into the cold, hard soil until he had completely uncovered his treasure. A single human bone. The remains of someone who had come into contact with a monster. West Mesa is located on the outskirts of Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the southwestern region of the United States. It's bordered by Colorado to the north, Oklahoma and Texas to the east, Arizona to the west, and the country of Mexico to the south. The landscape is rugged and dotted with shrubs and wide-open spaces stretching under an expansive blue sky. Once upon a time, the plateau was a sacred site for Native Americans and home to wild coyotes and huge eagles. But sadly, over the years, the city began to encroach on the desert and by the early 2000s, the area had been leveled for housing developments. Many of those projects were stalled by the global financial crisis of 2008. That left the area with random sections of sand and dirt surrounded by beautiful tree-lined streets and modern homes. On that February evening in 2009, Christine and Ruka walked along a dry creek bed which crossed through one of the abandoned housing developments off of Dennis Chavez Boulevard and 118th Street. When Ruka first unearthed the bone, Christine didn't think too much of it. This was the desert, and it wasn't uncommon for him to dig up the sandy remains of various animals during their walks. But something about the shape of this particular bone didn't sit right with her. It didn't look like the typical remains of a wild beast, and so Christine snapped a picture on her phone and sent it to her sister, who was a registered nurse. A short time later, Christine received a reply to say that the bone looked like a human femur. She immediately contacted the Albuquerque Police Department, who agreed with the assessment. The bone was indeed human. Investigators descended on the area and cordoned off the small section where the bone had been found. But as they unearthed the remainder of the skeleton, they made a horrific discovery. There was a second body right alongside the first, almost like the two were in each other's arms. 
With the discovery of a second body, the crime scene spread out wider and wider. Sure enough, they found a third body, and then a fourth. Over the following three months, officials worked day and night to comb through the 92-acre section of land in West Mesa. They used a combination of heavy construction equipment and tiny sieves to dig 18 feet or 5.5 meters down into the earth. Ultimately, they ended up moving over 40,000 cubic yards of dirt. By the time the search was complete, they had exhumed the remains of 11 women, one of whom had been pregnant. It was clear the women had been in the earth for a long period of time, years at least. All that was left of them was bones, and once the media caught wind of the discovery, they began to refer to the person who had left them there as the West Mesa Bone Collector. It took two years for medical examiners to definitively identify the decomposed remains of the victims using DNA and dental records. Fifteen years later, the names of the victims are known, but the name of the killer or killers remains a mystery. This is what we know about the victims. Jamie Caterina Barella was the youngest victim at just 15 years old. She was last seen at a family gathering near the Albuquerque airport in March of 2004. She attended the gathering with her 23-year-old cousin Evelyn Salazar, and they left the event together a few hours later. They were never seen again. A week after their disappearance, the pair were reported missing. Evelyn Salazar's body was found alongside Jamie in the Sandy Pit in West Mesa. She was a caring mother of two daughters, Mariah and Angel. She had a history of drug use and sex work, but had made positive changes in her life prior to her disappearance and murder. Celonia Edwards was 16 when she went missing in 2004. Her life was riddled with tragedy long before she was found buried in the Albuquerque desert. She was originally from Lawton in Oklahoma, where she lived in a group home for victims of abuse and neglect. She had been living in the facility since she was five years old when her mother was sent to prison for murder. Her father and brother were also frequently incarcerated throughout her childhood, and she had never known safety or stability in her short life. At some point in 2003, she ran away from the group home and was rumored to have visited Texas to connect with her mother. Apparently, the reunion didn't go well and Solania made her way to Aurora, Colorado a few months later. In May of 2004, she was seen with a group of sex workers and in July of that year, she was arrested for solicitation. She went by the street names of Mimi and Chocolate. After her arrest, she was released back onto the street, but she was never seen again. Dental records were used to identify her remains. 22-year-old Gina Michelle Valdez was four months pregnant when she died. She was last seen in September of 2004, but it took five months for her father to officially report her missing. She was the loving mother of two children, Angelica and Jeremiah. Gina was also known to be involved in sex work. Monica Candelaria was 22 years old and the mother of a young son. She was last seen on May 15, 2003 and reported missing two weeks later. Her family tried desperately to find her and dismissed any reports of her just being another runaway. They were well aware of her struggles and what they called her high-risk lifestyle. She was once convicted of solicitation and had connections to local gangs in Albuquerque. She also had a known history of substance abuse. Virginia Cloven was two months younger than Monica. She was a lifetime resident of Albuquerque where she was known as a positive and intelligent woman, but her life took a turn for the worse when her beloved brother was murdered. 
Virginia struggled to cope with the loss, and she ended up running away from home as a young teen. By the age of 17, she was addicted to drugs which she paid for by selling her body on the street. She was estranged from her family and friends, though she did call her father on April 13, 2004 to tell him she was getting married to a man who had just been released from prison. That is the last known contact Virginia had with anyone. It took six months for her to be reported missing. Julianne Cindy Nieto was 24 years old when she was last seen in July of 2004. She too was a troubled young mother of one son, Dominic, who she often left with her mother. The last time Julie had any contact with her family was when she visited her grandfather on July 15th. She was reported missing not long after that visit. Valerie became severely depressed after Julie went missing and she overdosed two years after her sister disappeared. That left her family grieving the loss of two young lives taken too soon. Victoria Ann Grace Chavez was last seen on June 5th, 2003. Like so many of the other victims, her disappearance wasn't reported immediately. In fact, it took a year for her mother to report her missing and by then she was likely already dead. By the age of 26, she had been convicted of solicitation five times and her missing persons report noted she was also a known drug user. Victoria was the first victim to be identified after her remains were exhumed from the mass grave in Albuquerque. Veronica Romero was the mother of five children, Divinity Jane, Nicholas, Journey, Savannah, and Joshua. She was reported missing on Valentine's Day of 2004 after not being seen for two weeks. She was 27 years old when she was seen getting into a white pickup truck in downtown Albuquerque. In the wake of her disappearance, her family and friends tried desperately to find her. They set up community searches and distributed posters with her face across the city. Her family later reported that law enforcement did very little to investigate her disappearance. Doreen Marquez was a loving and devoted mother of two children, Destiny and Mercedes. Life was going pretty well for Doreen. She was a cheerful person who was devoted to her family and her faith. She had struggled with bouts of depression over the years, but her kids had provided the much-needed anchor in her life. But things went bad in the year before her disappearance after her partner was sent to prison. Her mental health rapidly declined and she turned to drugs. She began to disappear for days at a time, and then weeks, and then months. She was last seen on October 10, 2003 when she dropped her children at their Christian school. It took a year for her family to report her missing. They later stated that due to her recent bout of disappearances, they assumed she had taken off again and would reappear when she was ready to come home. She never returned. The oldest of the victims found in West Mesa was Cinnamon Elks. She was 32 years old when she was last seen in August of 2004. Her mother recalled that she was a perfect child, but something went wrong in her early years when she fell in with the wrong crowd. Cinnamon had two children of her own, but after getting involved in sex work and developing a drug habit, she gave up custody of the children to her mother, Diana. She had been arrested 19 times for solicitation and 12 times for drug possession. She was known to associate with at least two of the victims she was found buried alongside. Diana reported her daughter missing a month after she didn't call on her birthday. It was a date Cinnamon would never have missed, no matter what was going on in her life. 
Like so many other families, officers told Diana that Cinnamon had probably just done a disappearing act and wasn't missing at all. They refused to file an official report until four months had passed with no contact. There are many commonalities between the victims. They were all female and ranged in age from 15 to 32. All but one of them were Hispanic and born and raised in New Mexico. 15-year-old Sylvania Edwards was the only black victim as well as the only woman from out of state. Most of the victims were also mothers. Another link between the victims was the timeline of their disappearances. They all went missing between 2001 and 2005. When that was pointed out by investigators, they reviewed satellite images from the area where the burial site was discovered. Several images taken between 2003 and 2005 showed tire tracks leading directly to the area where the bodies were later discovered. The satellite photos also showed small patches of disturbed earth, which increased in number with each new image. When authorities began digging, they focused on those areas and found that each one led to another grave. Because of the size of the area, the APD also carried out aerial searches to identify any further potential burial sites. They spent weeks flying over the city searching for disturbed dirt. Each location was meticulously examined, but no further sites were located. The chief of police commented, quote, We basically went and investigated hundreds of other spots. We found all kinds of stuff from animals that had been buried out in the mesa to pieces of debris. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Besides the timeline linking the women, another common factor was their links to the sex industry. All but one of them was known to have been involved in sex work at some point in their lives, and some were current or ex-drug addicts. Those factors would become critical in the way the investigation was handled over the coming years. One of the major problems from the outset of the investigation was the lack of forensic evidence in the case. Sure, there were 11 bodies to examine, but the bones were too decomposed to determine exactly how the victims had been killed. The official cause of death for all 11 victims was recorded as homicidal violence. The medical examiner stated it was likely they were strangled or suffocated, but those methods of murder wouldn't leave much evidence on the women's bones. The bodies were all found wrapped in plastic and were left baking in the desert sun for at least four years by the time Ruka dug up the first bone. That accelerated their decomposition and contributed to the destruction of any trace evidence. That is, if it had been present in the first place. No clothing, jewelry, or personal items were found on any of the bodies. Without forensic evidence, an investigation would usually focus on witnesses, but in this case, no one has come forward with any meaningful information except to give statements about the women's disappearances. As for the victims themselves, there was no definitive link between them except for their shared grave and loose connections from their histories of sex work on the streets of Albuquerque. There is always the possibility that if anything of significance was found during the forensic investigation, that officials have kept it quiet in the hopes of one day identifying the person or people responsible. 
Just like in so many cases where the victims have a history of sex work or drug use, the investigation was a slow burn. Eleven bodies and one unborn fetus had been found in the same location, making it one of the most horrific cases Albuquerque had ever seen. The media dubbed the case the crime of the century, and yet, even after finding eleven sets of remains in the same place, officials refused to declare that a serial killer was responsible. And then they contradicted themselves by saying that if a serial killer was responsible, the bones had all been there for years, so there was nothing to worry about. The chief of police said, quote, The remains are all old. They've been there a number of years. Had we been finding fresh bodies, I'd be much more concerned. Everybody can be reassured that there's not an active serial killer in Albuquerque actively killing and preying on people. Because it's not possible they might be disposing of the bodies differently, you know. The chief of police promised the families that solving the case was a top priority and he assembled a team of 40 investigators and called on the FBI for support. But at the same time, he repeatedly mentioned the victims' links to the sex trade and their high-risk lifestyle as if that somehow meant they had brought their deaths upon themselves and there was no need to solve the case quickly. Despite the way that authorities talked about their loved ones, the families of the victims held out hope that the case would be taken seriously. Sure enough, five months after the bodies were found, their hopes were renewed when the police announced they were making solid progress and that the suspect pool had been narrowed to five people. The first person on that list was Joseph Blea. Joseph Blea was an Albuquerque local with a long history of violent sex crimes. Between 1990 and 2009, he had been involved in almost 140 law enforcement encounters related to sex work and drugs. One police report documented an incident where he exposed himself to a sex worker. When dispatch caught up with him, they discovered rope and electrical tape on the front seat of his vehicle. A week after the bodies were found in West Mesa, his wife called the police and told them to take a closer look at her husband. As a result of the tip-off, he was followed by detectives for four days. They observed him stalking sex workers in his car and driving between the west and east side of Albuquerque, right next to where the bodies were found. His home was also searched, but investigators never announced whether they found anything tying him to the killings. When investigators spoke to sex workers who had interacted with Joseph, they heard stories of him tying them up against their will, threatening them and physically assaulting them. His wife and daughter also reported finding women's jewelry and underwear hidden in their shed. That was significant because many of the victim's families had reported that their jewelry was missing. Joseph had also been accused of several instances of sexual assault prior to the discovery of the women. It was only after the bone collector investigation began that he was arrested, prosecuted, and convicted for those crimes. The victims of those horrific attacks were mostly middle schoolers who he had forced himself upon in the 1980s. His M.O. was to wait for the children to return home from school, break into their houses, and assault them. In 2015, he was convicted of sexually assaulting an 8th grader, a crime which had taken place 20 years earlier. Tragically, the girl had reported the assault to police at the time and they had collected an essay kit, but the sample was not tested until 2010, after the women's bodies were discovered in the desert. Joseph was sentenced to 90 years in prison for that and several other sexual assaults. That child victim shouldn't have had to wait 20 years for justice. 
If the police had done their job and tested the sample earlier, there's no telling how many women would have been saved from Joseph's violence. Aside from his violent history, the only link between Joseph and the West Mesa bodies was a tree tag that was found near the graves. The tag was traced back to a nursery that Joseph was known to visit in his work as a landscaper. There's no doubt Joseph is a monster, but the investigation failed to definitively link him to the West Mesa murders. The next suspect on the list was Lorenzo Montoya. Lorenzo also had a long history of violence against sex workers in Albuquerque. In 1999, he was arrested for sexually assaulting and strangling a prostitute, and five years later he was arrested again for another similar crime. He was also accused of domestic violence against his girlfriend on several occasions. She told officers that he had repeatedly threatened to kill her and bury her in lime. The only problem with that line of enquiry was that by the time the bodies were found in the West Mesa desert, Lorenzo was dead. In December of 2006, he was shot to death at his mobile home which was located just three miles from where the bodies were found. The circumstances of his murder led police to believe he could have been the bone collector. That day, he had taken a sex worker to his home but he had no intention of paying her. When she asked for money, he choked the woman to death with his hands. When her pimp came looking for her, he found Lorenzo dragging her body to his truck. He saw that she was bound with cord and duct tape around her ankles, knees, and wrists, and she was clearly deceased. When the pimp realized Lorenzo had murdered the woman, he shot and killed him. The pimp never faced any charges in the killing. At the time of the murder, Lorenzo was out on bail for soliciting and sexual assault charges. Several of his co-workers later commented that he had discussed killing women and burying them in West Mesa. When the police searched Lorenzo's belongings after his death, they found footage and images on his camera which showed him having sex with an unidentified woman. The screen then went blank, but in the background is the clear sounds of tape being pulled from a roll. It's widely believed that it's footage of Lorenzo preparing to get rid of a body. Lorenzo appears to be the strongest candidate for the tile of the West Mesa bone collector. Several people close to the investigation claim that the murder stopped after Lorenzo's death. And yet, investigators have never been able to definitively link him to the murders. It's possible that the reason the burial site stopped being used was because of the housing developments which were closing in on the location. Satellite images show how over the years, land around the burial site was intensively developed. Just one year prior to the bones being discovered, neighbors had complained of flooding in the area. The developer then built a retaining wall which was intended to direct stormwater to a retention pond which was located right on top of the burial site. Once the wall was in place, the flowing water washed away the top layer of dirt, which left that single femur bone close enough to the surface for Ruka to dig it up in 2009. 
Officials commented that there was no way of knowing if the serial killer continued to operate and was just using a different place to dump the victims. Authorities said, quote, There's a possibility the killer has come and gone. Serial killers move. That's why they don't get caught. If he didn't get caught, I'm sure there are more victims somewhere. He could possibly be on the loose in New Mexico or another state. The West Mesa site is only a dumping ground. The murders were committed elsewhere. It is possible that the murders are ongoing, but that a different dump site is being used. Another theory that was put forward is that the killings were the work of multiple serial killers who were operating in the Albuquerque area at the same time. That theory is the least likely considering the similarities in the way the victims' bodies were prepared before being dumped. Despite the chief of police stating there were five people on the list of suspects in the case, the other three names have never been revealed. However, over the years, there have been several other people associated with the murders. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 18 months after the bodies were found, the Albuquerque police released photos of seven women they believed could be linked to the murders and asked the public for help in identifying who they were. Most of the photos appeared to show women in an unconscious state. At the time the photos were released, not all of the victims had been identified, so naturally everyone assumed they were the faces of the unnamed victims. Except they quickly discovered that two of the women in the photographs were still alive and a third woman had died years earlier of natural causes. Officials never stated where the images had come from, but rumors swirled about a photographer who was known to frequent the area near the burial site. That's how Ron Irwin came to be linked to the murders. He was a photographer from Joplin, Missouri, but he traveled off into the New Mexico State Fair, which was held a few miles from where the bodies were uncovered. Soon after the photographs were released by the Albuquerque police, it was revealed his home and studio had been raided, and during the search, investigators had confiscated hundreds of photos and documents. That's believed to be the origin of the photos that were published with the appeal for information. After the women were identified and eliminated from the West Mesa investigation, it became clear that Ron was not involved in the murders. But it took more than a year for him to be cleared as a person of interest. In the meantime, his reputation and career were destroyed. Then there was Lou Fred Reynolds, who police said was a pimp in Albuquerque. Police found pictures of several West Mesa victims at his home, but there was no physical evidence linking him to the murders. He was arrested in 1998 and in 2001 on suspicion of promoting sex work. He died of natural causes in January of 2009, just a month before the first victim was found in the desert. As the years ticked by, the police publicly promised the victims' families they were doing everything they could to solve the case. But behind the scenes, they largely ignored their phone calls and refused to look into information that the families had gathered on their own. In time, the families learned that an APD detective had identified a concerning increase in the number of sex workers who were going missing in the area. But that wasn't a recent discovery. 
She had been doing so since 2005, four years before the bones were discovered. Detective Ida Lopez realized that many of the sex workers who were being reported missing to the police were Latina and had drug connections. Long before the bones were found in the desert, Ida made a list of missing women and attempted to convince her superiors to form a task force to find them. But she was repeatedly turned down, even by those in the APD Sex Crimes Division whose primary focus is supposed to be addressing sexual violence. A leading criminologist referred to these type of victims as quote-unquote, less dead. They're targeted by killers because they believe the police response won't be swift or severe. That's exactly what happened in this case. Many of the victims' families reported that the police hadn't taken the missing persons report seriously in the first place. Officials had labeled the women runaways and users and refused to put any effort into searching for them. Four years after Ida began her side investigation, she found that ten of the names on her list belonged to those found in the mass grave. There's no way of knowing whether it would have made a difference if the department had taken her work seriously from the beginning, but after the bodies were found, she discovered that at least part of the reason why the department wouldn't look into the missing women was because it might have revealed multiple reports of APD officers abusing sex workers. Cinnamon Elks told friends shortly before her August 2004 disappearance that, quote, a dirty cop was chopping off the heads of prostitutes and burying them in the West Mesa. It's important to note that it has never been officially reported that any of the victims were decapitated, but it is strange that she named a very specific area where she would later be buried. The depth of any potential corruption in the APD hasn't been publicly stated, but in 2014 the city announced that the Department of Justice would be monitoring the Albuquerque Police Department. That came after a civil investigation found a pattern of excessive use of force, including deadly force between 2009 and 2012. Those incidents resulted in 20 civilian fatalities, many of which were ruled unconstitutional. One incident involved APD officers shooting a mentally ill man, which was caught on tape. The case made national news, but second-degree murder charges against the officers were dismissed. In 2013, a sex worker filed a lawsuit accusing an officer of forcing himself upon her in his cruiser. A second woman came forward to allege a similar assault by the same officer. In 2007, an APD officer was charged with sexually assaulting a woman he was transporting to the hospital. In 2005, a detective was charged with kidnapping and sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl. In 2004, a sergeant was charged with sexual assault of a 12-year-old girl. Convictions against the officers involved only occurred in two of those cases. Those are simply a few of the dozens of allegations included in the civil investigation, and they provide some explanation as to why the police didn't want to look into missing sex workers in the years before the bodies were found. It also makes sense why they were so relaxed about the investigation once all the women were unearthed. All of this context has led many online to question whether the West Mesa bone collector is actually a police officer. They would be well aware of exactly how little effort would be put into finding the missing women and how little interest there would be in solving their murders. Despite the corruption in the APD, Ida Lopez was not prepared to turn her back on the victims, simply because of their circumstances. She was heavily involved in the investigation from day one, and she personally interviewed more than 200 women who lived and worked on the streets of Albuquerque. 
Unsurprisingly, she found that most of them were fearful of going to the police and reporting sexual assaults because they knew nothing would be done, or the officers themselves were responsible. Regardless of Ida's passion or determination to find the killer, the investigation fizzled after just two years. History repeated, and just like so many cases where the victims were known to be involved with drugs or sex work, the investigation rapidly lost momentum. That's despite it being the biggest crime in Albuquerque history and being featured on America's Most Wanted. Billboards asking for information were erected throughout New Mexico with the promise of a $100,000 reward. But just like the serial killer expert mentioned, crimes involving victims from a minority or with a history of drug use or sex work are not prioritized in the same way that white, middle-class victims are. By the five-year mark, only one detective remained assigned to the case. Dirk Gibson, a professor at the University of New Mexico who has written two books about serial killers, said, quote, Albuquerqueans don't relate to the victims. They think they're just a bunch of hookers and drug addicts. Police budgets are stretched thin. There's so little money and there are so many crimes. Investigating a 10-year-old crime where the police think that the victims had it coming, there's just no incentive for that. He also said, quote, There hasn't been a degree of public fear and alarm that you might expect. There has been very little publicity. There's a sense of physical remoteness. This place was very remote. There has been little pressure on the police to investigate. His comments were echoed by the families of the victims. Karen Jackson, the mother of Michelle Valdez, stated, quote, That somebody would do this to my daughter and dump her like she was a piece of trash and leave her lying out there with no dignity. I am devastated and angry. She went on to comment that the local police rarely returned their phone calls or pursued investigative tips the families provided. She said, quote, Nobody has listened to us for so many years. In 2018, the families of several other women who went missing around the same time as the bone collector victims publicly requested that the APD continue searching for bodies. They believed their loved ones might still be buried under the sand and soil in the West Mesa Desert. As a result of that request, two further extensive searches were undertaken. One used ground-penetrating radar to examine a broader area than the initial 2009 search. The other search was conducted near the original dig site where a set of human remains was unearthed. Forensic anthropologists determined that those bones were ancient and not related to the serial killings. Another extensive search was completed in 2021 based on a tip that came into the task force. Officials have stated that they believe that if there are further victims, their remains are likely to be buried underneath the housing developments in the area. Once the global financial crisis was over, construction restarted and the landscape was unrecognizable from the satellite images taken at the time the bodies were found. As of 2021, retired Homicide Sergeant Liz Thompson is responsible for the West Mesa case, which is officially known as the 118th Street Investigation. She stated that the police department has received and investigated more than 1,200 tips from the public. She declined to share how many suspects remain on the official list. No profile of the murderer has ever been revealed, possibly to avoid the killer changing their M.O., but Liz did reveal some key characteristics. She said, quote, This person may have been charming or friendly in order to build trust or a relationship of some kind with the women first. This person is a predator. He sought out vulnerable women. We believe the burying of the women's bodies is key. 
the person responsible had the means and the know-how to not only navigate a then remote and barely accessible area of the West Mesa, but to also methodically dig and then bury the women without clues such as clothing, personal items, or evidence of the method of killing such as bullets, bullet casings, or remarkable blunt force trauma. She also stated that the pattern of the killer may have changed over time. Authorities believe the killer is a disorganized sociopath with a growing bloodlust who gradually became more careful and pattern-oriented. In June of 2020, a community park was opened at the site where the bodies were found. The mayor declared, quote, This is not only to remember and celebrate those women who were murdered, but also for the daughters, sisters, mothers, cousins, friends, and neighbors who also must remember. The name of each woman is etched into the oval-shaped path around the park, and across from each name is a bench and a tree selected by the families. The father of one of the victims stated, quote, These girls all had dreams. No girl grows up wanting that. Michelle Valdez's father said, quote, God, I wish we had some answers. We all meet our maker in the end anyway. We'll get our justice. Maybe not here on Earth, but we'll get our justice. For now, the families have no answers and the West Mesa Bone Collector remains unnamed. We can only hope that they aren't still out there ending the lives of vulnerable women. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.